country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome back to Talking Indonesia. My name is Gemma Purdy. Ghosts, spirits, kuntilanak, tuyul, monsters and pochong. For most Indonesians, these are familiar and in some ways even comforting creatures from the supernatural. Companions through life with stories shared down through generations, regardless of class, religion or belief system. Content horror or horror content has long been a staple too of Indonesian literature, art, film and television cultures. As my guest today describes it, supernaturalism and horror has become something of an Indonesian trait. In recent years, the internet and digital technologies have seen a proliferation of young urban Indonesian YouTubers feeding an eager and growing audience new versions of these older stories in innovative and fascinating ways. So what is it about the supernatural that so captures Indonesians? Why is YouTube such a fertile digital platform for the genre of entertainment? And what can these videos and their creators tell us about how Indonesians see themselves, their society and the world at large? To answer these questions and more, my guest is Tito Ambio, a journalist and lecturer in journalism. Tito is currently completing his PhD on haunting magic city and a progressive sense of place among Indonesian YouTubers. Tito will join us as a Talking Indonesia co-host for 2022. Hello, Tito. Thank you so much for joining us on Talking Indonesia for the first time. Hi, Gemma. Uh, a pleasure. Good to be here. Okay. And our topic today is kind of exciting and I think also a first for Talking Indonesia. You've described horror stuff as something of an Indonesian national characteristic. So I wonder if you might start by giving us some understanding of the place of supernaturalism or the place it occupies in the lives of Indonesians and Indonesian culture. Yeah, it is interesting. And I think one of the interesting things about what I'm doing is ghosts and, you know, monsters, supernatural beings, mysticism. It is a big part of Indonesian cultures. I grew up in, in Bandung in West Java in Indonesia, and um, that was a, a big part of me growing up. Uh, if, if I'm talking about my friends, my close friends in Indonesia when I was growing up, you know, the, the boys were able to do supernatural things. They were our heroes. You know, there were people who, you know, there's this connection between people who can connect with the supernatural things uh, with power, with authority. And that was, I think, one of the ways, you know, if you want to be popular at school, you can either be good at sports or you can be good at science or you can be good at supernatural things. But I think if you look at Indonesia, it's also, it comes from the top. And as you know, Suharto uh, was a committed mystic, even though he controlled mysticism, you know, what was allowed to be shown on television, for example, was very tightly controlled when it comes to mysticism and supernaturalism. But he was a committed mystic and 
you know, there were rumors about how he was protected by mystical powers or when uh, he was about to die. Although some, some people were also saying that it was Ibutin, his late wife, who had the mystical power because she was the one with the connection with the Kraton uh, Makunegara family. So it's just a part of growing up. I was always a bit of the odd one out because I never really believed in ghosts. Like, I love ghost stories growing up, but I never really believed in it maybe i was more you know 70 percent believe in it but you know if you're an indonesian kind of the cultural expectation is that you believe in it 100 so that's why for me i was i was interested in this i was interested in you know what is it about ghosts that were very very powerful for a lot of indonesians i need to know what are these supernatural powers that your childhood friends had you have to tell us well, one of the uh, most, I, th- I think, you know, what I, what I remember is this guy who was able to capture ghosts and put the ghost in a bottle. So, and he used to have this bottle and he used to take this bottle around uh, basically to show people that, yeah, I'm someone, I have this connection with the supernatural. And I remember him as someone who was a little bit shy, you know, wasn't particularly good at sports or anything like that. But at school, I used to organize music concerts. Um, I was a part of this punk band. And that was the other thing, you know, if you want to be popular, that was the other outlet, right? You join a punk band. And during one of the concerts, well, the night before, we were organizing this concert. And so we were staying at our school. And our school used to be a Dutch uh, hospital, I think. So there were all these ghost stories about it. And something happened. I can't exactly remember what. I think one of the girls, she was possessed. And then this guy just started helping this girl and was able to capture the spirit who was possessing her and put put it in a bottle. And... And that was amazing, you know, that was, and, and then after that, people were like, oh my God, this guy, this guy has this ability to do that. And that's all he was known for. Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's super cool. I can imagine he was just like walking around school with this aura around yeah, him. Yeah, Amazing. So, but now, you know, you're, this is something that we're taking seriously, right? Your research is building on a growing body of scholarship in which these ideas of ghosts and haunting are being taken seriously. And that's also within Indonesian studies, this is already the case, wherein the ghost stories and the supernaturalism can offer us insights into the society in which they're being told and understood. So can you expand on that idea in the context of your own research and how that's come about. Yeah, I think, and if, you know, if any of the listeners are also doing research on ghost stories in Indonesia, you probably have come across this problem where there's so much written about ghosts, uh, you know, the Gothic and all these things, but it's really hard to kind of find what scholarly tradition you can use to to talk about Indonesian ghosts. Obviously, there's like the folklorist, there's anthropology. And if you look at the tradition of the spectral turn, for example, so the spectral turn that was in the sort of early 2000s, where scholars started to look at cultural memory and history using contemporary ghosts. So, you know, people were studying this in the US, in Poland, basically looking at, yeah, what ghosts mean when it comes to talking about cultural trauma, for example. Um, But that also started earlier with Jacques Derrida, the French philosopher who was talking about, well, he was playing on the word ontology and 
the the pronunciation for ontology and ontology in French is the same. So he was playing on the idea of you know the ontological sort of how we look at the world can be helped if we accept the ghostly, basically, and in a kind of a postmodern way. Basically, he was trying to talk about the things that we cannot talk about, you know, because he was a French philosopher. He wants to be able to talk about everything, um, even uh, all, including things that he could not talk about, which are you know, the ghosts and the spectral, supernatural things. And there's also the Gothic tradition, cinema, literature. In Indonesia, we, uh, you know, there's that book, Katinka Van Heeren, for example, I have written about Indonesian cinema and ghosts. Um, and there have been, you know, anthropologists like Niels Buband. I mean, Clifford Geertz wrote about spiritualism and supernaturalism in Java. But I think what's really interesting now is, I think what I'm seeing on YouTube and also outside of YouTube are people reclaiming this ghost stories and other supernatural things to talk about contemporary Indonesia. You know, you have writers like Imban Paramadita and Eka Kurniawan, and they, they're amazing writers who are using ghosts as characters in their stories. In films, we have Joko Anwar, one of the best uh, directors in Indonesia right now, doing amazing, amazingly scary ghost uh, horror films. So I think what's really interesting is, yeah, now we are seeing people really taking up the ghostly to talk about contemporary challenges of living in Indonesia. Yeah, I was going to ask about this long history of producing and consuming horror or content horror on film and TV. So why did you want to move this focus to digital technologies and specifically, you know, YouTube? And what was it about that that you thought was important? I think what I find really interesting about YouTube in particular is how the platform's technological realities you know, YouTube uses algorithms and, you know, a kind of a specific format on how to present videos, shapes the stories and how the stories are told. Because I'm a journalist by training and that's what I teach journalism. So I've always loved looking at how people use digital platforms to tell stories online. So I was interested in that. I was interested in, okay, how do all these ghost stories, old ghosts and creatures, how are they told about in this specific platform and it's really interesting because on youtube if you want to be successful you have to produce incessantly you know there's this pressure to produce 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 every day you have to produce and that's another matter you know if you're talking about youtubers it's just the pressure that they have to produce things all the time engage with the audience all the time and that creates some kind of forms of ghostly storytelling that is quite interesting so for example we have ewing hade from Bogor and Nessie Judge, I think she's from Jakarta, who basically scours the internet for ghost stories and talk about these ghost stories. Uh, so we, we, because obviously there are other formats which are like the Udinyali. So Udinyali is a um, test of metal, uh, basically, uh, if you translate it in English, but it's where people go to haunted locations. And some of them do rituals, some of them basically just go to haunted locations and try to engage your audience in that way. And YouTube allows live broadcasting. So it's kind of fun because then what you have is Udinyali, which in anthropology is called legend tripping, you know, people, young people going to haunted locations. But what's really interesting on YouTube is people are going there with you. And in Indonesia, some of the audience members who are going there with you are also people who can see ghosts. And uh, so this is really interesting because on YouTube, then they comment as well. So they say, 
I'll look up behind you. You know, you might not be able to see this, but I can see it. There's this ghost behind you or whatever. So it creates this really interesting forms of engagement that can only happen on YouTube that could not happen on, you know, television. So that's one of the things that I'm interested in. So it's kind of, I mean, I'm imagining like Blair Witch Project in the now, like where you can interact. You know, you've got this kind of visceral sense that you're there when you see that film back, when was that, 20 plus years ago, Tito? (laughs) (laughs) But now that's available in copious amounts, you know, for you to consume all the time if you want to have that experience. So you mentioned legend tripping. Is that a little bit like dark tourism where you, you know, you kind of make it, a pilgrimage to these places? Yeah, it is. It is a bit like that. The key word in the world of legend tripping is ostension. And basically, it is a way to sort of extend fiction to your life. Well, you know, in Indonesia, I suppose ghost stories are not seen as fiction. So how do you experience these legends and stories yourself? So that's called ostension. But yeah, I think it, it is really interesting because then what happens is some of the places there is uh, i can't remember what his name i think bill ellis uh who writes about the legend tripping in the us he writes about ostensive abuse which is a, a situation where people go to all these haunted locations and there are, you know hundreds of youtubers go to the same haunted locations and there have been cases where there have been violence between the youtubers there have been you know a woman who owns one of the houses was uh, injured so and this is one of the interesting things as well a lot of this haunted locations in Indonesia are abandoned places, abandoned cinema, abandoned hospitals. And the owners have probably kind of given up on the places, but now they have a new way of getting some money from it, which is charging for YouTubers to go to these abandoned places. So this actually creates kind of an informal economy as well around it. Monetizing ghosts. <laughs> yeah. And so so you're describing a little bit about the content in particular, but tell us a bit more about that. Is it professionally made or is it better to look a bit shonky? Are they trying to make the stories believable? Are they meant to be believable? I think on YouTube particularly, what's important is not believability, but authenticity. And YouTube is all about authenticity. Um, If you want to be a successful YouTuber, you have to be seen as authentic. So this creates some interesting challenges for YouTubers who started out basically with a, with, you know, a smartphone going to haunted locations and a lot of their uh, videos are very rough, but, but it's authentic. You know, you, you feel like you're there with them and then they became popular and they get a bit of money. And then there's the temptation to make it more polished. It's always interesting. And this is not only in horror YouTube, but also in food YouTube, for example. One of the biggest food YouTubers in Indonesia is uh, Max Carlos. And he has you know millions of subscribers. And when he started becoming professional and his content becoming really polished, a lot of people actually didn't like it because people were like, oh, I used to like your, you know, the roughness. So the challenge for a lot of these people are on how to make it polished and professional, but also still have that authenticity. So one of the examples will be Son of Dad, which is three guys from Bandung. And they have grown their subscriber numbers. I can't remember how many they have now, but I think it's in the millions now, if not hundreds of thousands. 
and they polish the videos because now they have a bit of money, they have a bit of income from YouTube, they're, they're managed by this professional company, but they still use a lot of the YouTube techniques. So for example, when they make mistakes, they keep it in um, and you know they still make you know, silly jokes and things like that. So I think, yeah, what's important for me as well as someone studying YouTube is, you know, yeah, how do they increase their authenticity in telling the stories? They're visiting these locations. They're sitting around waiting for ghosts to appear. Are they performing magic? And are they kind of referring to or seeking out spirits and monsters that are familiar to Indonesians or are there new creatures Mm. out there? It's, it's a mix. It's a mix. I think I started the research because I was interested in looking at how traditional ghosts and, you know, classic ghosts in Indonesia, like the Kuntilanak, the Tuyo, Pochong, those are the big three, how they appear digitally. And they, they, they exist. They're still, they're still around. The Kuntilanak, which is a, a version, Indonesian version of the lady in white, is still super, super popular. And you have also seen recent films about the Kuntilanak. But what's really interesting as well is, you know, we're talking about, I think, two generations of people. You have the, you know, Generation X, which are like this uh, Risa Saraswati, Sarah Wijayanto, they're kind of my age, you know, and they, they still use, I mean, you know, a lot of their content is super familiar to me because, you know, and the way they tell the stories are super familiar to me because there's kind of a lot of the way they tell stories is a continuation of the way I used to tell stories about ghosts when I was growing up. But then what is really interesting is when we come to the millennials and the generation Zs, we have people who were born into the internet technology and they're so comfortable talking about Japanese ghosts, Korean ghosts, and not only that, they also enact rituals from these different countries because, you know, on the internet, we can find all these rituals. One of the most interesting things that are that's uh, one of the, my chapters for my PhD thesis is about this ritual called Hitori Kakurenbo, which is a Japanese ritual where you play hide and seek with a teddy bear. It's freaky. It's really, really scary. Basically, you play hide and ghost with a possessed teddy bear at 2 a.m. on your own in your house. And this is a Japanese thing. And if you're interested, look, look it up on online. It's called Hitori Kakurenbo. And so this no, I don't think so. <laughs> so these Indonesians, they enact this international rituals, which is really funny because, well, funny and also scary, but, you know, they're like, well, if the spirit is Japanese, can they understand us Indonesian, you know, and, you know, do they, or do they, do we have to learn Japanese, blah, blah, blah. But also they do Indonesian rituals, things like, I don't know if you know this, Gemma, but in, in a lot of places in Java, you're not supposed to clean your house at midnight, especially with a broom, because that is a ritual to invite the Kuntilanak. Okay, no, that's good advice. <laughs> good advice, something good to know. Midnight is not usually yeah. when one would clean the house, but fine. Yeah, yeah, which is, so, you know, usually it's deliberate, right? So if you see someone in Indonesia cleaning their house at midnight, you know, they're up to something. So they, but they would do this deliberately. They would go to a haunted location with a broom and they would, you know, clean the house. There is also this ritual where you pretend to be a salt peddler. So basically you, you, you go to a haunted location and say, I have salt to sell. Who wants the salt? And yeah, a ghost will come to you and offer you a price for this. So it's really interesting because again, when it comes to the authenticity, a lot of these YouTubers would do this right. And they have this thing, they're they're anti-gimmicks, basically. A lot of these YouTubers, especially the younger ones, 
they will not pretend to, to for their rights to be successful. Um, so very rarely we see a ghost. We see a sighting of penampakan in Indonesian. But what we have is just we are enacting this rights with them together on YouTube, either live or pre-recorded. And it's kind of fun. It's still fun, even though you don't get to see the ghost, you still get to do the rituals with them. Yeah. So it's um it's like an interactive performative experience. Mm, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's like theatre in a mm. way. Yeah. You know, with an anticipation of maybe that, you know, sensational thing, but... The actual act of it, the performance is is entertainment, which is what we're talking about, right? This is a form of entertainment. But it's really interesting to me when you're talking about how young Indonesians are picking up Japanese, Taiwanese, different stories. You know, I wanted to ask you about how all of this sits with this idea that we have, which so many sociologists and kind of focused on, which is Indonesia's Generation Z and its potential and also its connections globally, you know, as global citizens, these digital natives and how that sits with, you know, them seeing themselves in the world. This is interesting that um, Mm. these stories are kind of coming back and around. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things that I am kind of working out is this idea of this mystical beliefs as a primitive beliefs you know um and you know there is this idea that we have about the history of the world where we go from you know believing in this silly things to then using science but i I want to also provide criticism to that belief that history is this linear progression from believing in the silly stuff the ghost stuff to science i mean even you know isaac newton really really believed in all these mystical things and it actually really affected the way he did science. And I think it's the same, you know, throughout the history of the world. We still see people who are scientists who are either, you know, highly spiritual or highly religious. And what's really interesting to me is that Indonesians that I see on YouTube looking at ghosts, you know, they use a lot of these ghost stories and the experience and their way of talking about the ghost as a way to theorize basically history and theorize what it means to live in Indonesia right now when, you know, we have globalization, we have, for example, a lot of the ghosts are ghosts from the communists. Um, and, and, you know, a, a lot of that, about this gem about, yeah, about the 1966 violence. And then you have a lot of the ghosts who are Dutch and Japanese. And if you look at people like Sarawi Jayanto and a lot of the female uh, YouTubers, they actually talk a lot about violence against women. So a lot of the ghosts that they talk to are female ghosts who experience violence in the past. So I think it's a way for them to talk about violence towards women in Indonesia right now. Yeah, these are literally ghosts of the past. And we use that term all the time, don't we? But we, in our world, perhaps we don't think in terms of the actual real idea of ghosts, but it's this haunting of history and of the past. Mm. But uh, from the for the, what you're telling us here, it's actually in the present. And so, okay, so what kinds of histories, Tito? You mentioned 65, 66 and violence against women. And is this leading to the, do the YouTubers kind of dig into that history in any detail? How are they kind of unpicking hmm. that? Again, I think there is, I still have to look at my data here, but I think my feeling is that the younger ones, they're still 
kind of not very confident when they're talking about oh, obviously <laughs> talking about 1965-1966 is hard for anyone yeah i mean this is we're talking about issues that are, are still not officially properly understood and explored in indonesia yeah exactly and so a lot of these younger ones they kind of just mention it in passing and i think because a lot of the youtubers obviously want audience they cannot afford to be too out there you know they can't afford to be too controversial which is also interesting because then we also are talking about the, the place of religions in their lives so if they talk about ghosts in a very un-islamic way then there is a threat for for their audience who are you know probably are not going to like that so often they would still use you know islamic frameworks for example which is a continuation of you know, in in the past a lot of horror films in indonesia for example were forced to have at the end of the film a kiai who saves everyone you know and kills the ghosts and you know and the kiai has no connection with the story at all but that was forced upon the directors and the writers like the film writers because if they wanted to be able to pass censorship they had to include the kiai at the end so it's still, it's very similar now where a lot of the YouTubers want to talk about this histories, but they, they're also, yeah, towing that line between wanting to talk about this really violent and controversial things, but also they, you can really see them, you know, pulling and they can't afford to be too controversial, I suppose. Right. Um, yeah. So there's kind of, they, they know the limit. There's a self-censorship. Like, you know, what you've described with the films was there was a censorship board saying, pop a kiai at the at the end yeah. but these are the youtubers very conscious of what, whether it be just because they want to keep their audiences watching or perhaps they have other concerns um mm. that's really really interesting and i guess another podcast could be all about islamic mysticism but we haven't got time for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, you know in what i've read of your work you mentioned many of these really interesting YouTubers, but I wondered if you could say a little bit about this Prasodjo Muhammad, this guy who was a mountaineer, a hiker, who was just making videos of, you know, him clomping mm. around up mountains. And then he kind of got into content horror and his numbers went crazy. Uh, what did you find so interesting about him and what he does? Well, the, the first one is how, if you want to be a successful YouTuber or anything to do with social media in Indonesia, horror is a, super, is, a, is a very easy technique to do that. Because if you look at his early videos, he actually has done some really interesting stuff. You know, he's a hiker and, you know, I used to hike as well when I was a young man in Indonesia. And, and you know, you, you see his videos were so, sort of popular. You have, you know, maybe 5,000 views, 6,000 views. And then his first video that had anything to do with mysticism was his mystical experience while climbing a mountain. And of course, being a hiker myself, the mountainsides is all, almost always haunted. So he was sharing this experience. That video was the first one when I think he had, I think, 500,000 viewers. So you see, you know, 5,000, 2,000, 3,000, 500,000. And then you still see him doing all these other videos. But then now if you look at the, the visuality of his YouTube, everything is now just horror. Because I think, yeah, that's, that's when he realized, oh, this is where the audiences are. But it's also really interesting to, to look at what he's talking about now. Because, yeah, a lot of his stories are about these ghosts, the spirits on the mountainsides, 
which are super, super interesting. My thesis is basically on urban YouTubers and talking about, you know, supernatural cities. But then you can see how, when we talk about the city, you always talk about, well, not always, but, you know, it's very, very useful for us to talk about the city as, as an opposition to natural places. And I think this is one of the really interesting things for me, and maybe a bit of a paradox where the mountainsides and natural places are almost always seen as haunted and the cities are not but now what you see as well is uh, actually cities are super super haunted more than uh, more than mountainsides so, and i think yeah it's, it's a really interesting thing to, to sort of explore that connection between rural and yeah i wanted to ask how did covid impact yeah well the the lockdown obviously had an impact on the Ujinyali people you know those legend trippers people who go to haunted locations because they could not go any, anymore to these locations but there had been some interesting things so Risa Saraswati one of the biggest YouTubers in Indonesia when it comes to horror stuff she used to be a jazz singer and now she goes to these haunted locations she's from Bandung and she uh, usually goes to these haunted locations with her family, with her extended family, cousins, and all of them had this, you know, connection with the supernatural. And they have they have the ability to connect the supernatural. After COVID, she developed this new genre, which basically is going to these haunted locations, but they stayed in the car, which kind of is perfect for them. So uh, there's you know four or five of them. They're all in the car. Uh, they go to these haunted locations. And they still talk about the ghosts in the haunted locations, what they, what they could see. But that was also easier to produce, right? So you only have to have one. Um, because if you look at people like Risa Saraswati and Sarah Wijaya, uh, Wijayanto, for example, who are Gen Xers, they use TV production aesthetics, basically. So they would, so Sarah Wijayanto, for example, would go to these locations and you only see maybe two people or three people um, camera but there would be a camera crew, at least one other person, because she wanted that aesthetics. She wanted that lighting and everything, but you don't see them. So with COVID, obviously, uh, she couldn't do that. Risa couldn't do that. So yeah, she just went to this locations in the car and talk about the ghosts in the car. Like carpool karaoke. Carpool karaoke, but with ghosts. Yeah. (laughs) And the viewers loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I mean, there's this, this, it seems like there's just so many complexities here, but particularly, you know, when it comes to these stories, a lot of them are quite treasured, precious, quite sacred in a way, the spirits and the monsters. What you've described is, yes, most of the time it sounds like the YouTubers are being respectful and honouring kind of that sacred space that they're in when, when they're engaging the monsters, the ghosts, and keeping in mind that history But you also have in your writing pointed out that one characteristic of some of these YouTubers is the opposite of that. And Mm. you use this Sundanese word, sompral. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sompral is a great word. Sompral, basically, yeah, again, when, when I was growing up in Bandung, if you go to a haunted location, you have to show respect, right? And I think that there's a big part of this, a big part of talking about spirituality, supernaturalism, which is about how do you respect others how do you respect others who are not only humans but also non-humans the trees the forests and also supernatural beings and in Sundanese if you deliberately don't do that if you deliberately disrespect the spiritual things that's called sompral and this is what some of the youtubers 
do. You know, they they would go to these locations. So son of dad, for example, the three guys from Bandung, they would go to these locations and would you know joke around and they would you know in one of the in some of their videos they actually cosplay as 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 the ghosts and it's kind of funny as well because they're like oh you know we've been going to these haunted locations but the ghosts are not showing themselves maybe they're shy you know so maybe we need to pretend to be one of them and maybe they will come to us so you know so they would go to this haunted location with uh, pretending to be a potong or pretending to be a, a tuyul, which is really interesting. But also it's it's very central. It's very disrespectful. But I think it's a good strategy for them to to kind of connect with the audience. Number one, they're showing that, oh my God, yeah, these people are so sombral and they're so brave in a way, you know, challenging the supernatural things. But also in a way, that's also what is behind a lot of what I see in a lot of Indonesian arts and films and literature, young people wanting to challenge the authority, traditional authority, and in a way that's accepted. So I think that's really interesting as well. Yeah. Have they faced any opposition? Have there been problems? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely from audience members who are saying, you know, oh, you're not supposed to do that. Um, from other YouTubers who are saying, and of course, they're competing for audience as well right so usually because they you know it's in uh, they're indonesians they're polite um so they don't watch this youtubers but they would say oh you know there are other youtubers who are a bit sombral you know but you know i'm not sombral and i'm more respectful um and some of them have also changed that tack some of them deliberately open their third eye because they wanted to be able to see ghosts and that was really interesting actually because there's this time when all these youtubers were doing it at the same time you know i'm I'm guessing some of them were managed by the same people they were opening their third eyes um, together some of them after that were like no 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 i don't want this anymore this is not only disrespectful but i can't (laughs) i can't sleep at night after this and but meanwhile others were like oh yeah nothing changed so I think, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing when, you know, you are looking at all these YouTubers who are using all these old beliefs, trying to engage with the supernatural, some of them by challenging them, some of them by yeah, respecting them. Yeah. And I mean, this is all around what you describe as like the ambiguities that are represented, you know, mm. this is the ambiguities within modern Indonesia. Yeah, uh, one thing that you always hear is percaya nggak percaya, which is, you know, believe but uh, don't believe, basically. So, you know, at the end of the video, uh, people will, you know, after telling you stories about these ghostly experiences, they would go, you know, percaya nggak percaya, which is basically almost like a mantra uh, at the end, like a chant to say at the end, look, you know, I'm just sharing you all these stories. You may believe it, you may not believe it, it's up to you. And that's a way to kind of deflect people who will say, oh, why, why are you believing in this, all these things? It's not Islamic, blah, blah, blah. He said, no, no, no. I said, percaya nggak percaya. That's my <laughs> deflection mantra. It's really hard, obviously, to write about what people actually believe. But for me, I, um, yeah, I, I think I identify with that phrase, percaya nggak percaya, because, you know, of course, yeah, I, I don't believe that dead people can come back to life. You know, I think... Um, yeah, I have a different belief on that. But when you go to a haunted location in Indonesia, and I've been to some of those places, you just feel something and you sort of like, oh, well, but what's this? Or, you know, people who don't believe in ghosts, but when you watch 
horror films, you still feel this, you know, feel the fear, you know, so I think there is something about this that's really interesting to, to sort of explore this ambiguity of beliefs in the supernaturalism. Absolutely interesting and frightening. And final question, Tito, how do you sleep at night? Well, <laughs> sleeping is not the problem. It's not sleeping at oh, night. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really interesting for me, I think, because uh, as a part of my research, I mean, of course, I write a lot about Indonesian ghosts, but to put it in context, so with my research, you know, I read about other ghosts as well from other countries and the Koreans, oh, Koreans write freaky ghost stories. And sometimes because I teach full-time and I do my PhD part-time, before COVID, I would do my research at RMIT, where I'm based at. And, you know, sometimes I'd just be writing and reading, writing and reading, and suddenly it's 11 p.m. And I'm on my own in a, a building at RMIT, which is rumored to be haunted. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I don't believe in the ghosts, but after you read about all these ghosts, especially some of the ones that I find really freaky, like the Korean ones or the Japanese ones as well, you can't help but have these images in your head you know and so so yeah it's um it's been re- a, a really interesting experience just you know sort of navigating the percaya percaya of myself you know it's like well i don't believe in ghosts but what is that thing or what is that sound you know so yeah it's been it's been fun yeah oh yeah i'll take your word for that fun part <laughs> Well, but this is really what's interesting, Gemma, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. A lot of people, I'm, I'm not a horror fan, uh, a horror film fan, um, so I, I love watching them, but I'm not one of those people who just, who, who get really into horror. But I think what I've learned from them is that they actually really love the adrenaline. You know, it's addictive. All these ghost stories are super addictive. It's almost like, you know, some people love the pain of eating spicy food, super spicy food. I think it's the same. You know, a lot of people who love ghosts and horror stories, they want that adrenaline. So I think that's another part of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, you could have a whole conversation about gaming. It's the same thing. It triggers these, um, what's it called? You know, the happy happy drug in you and that excited, buzzy thing and keeps you coming back. And that Mm, makes a lot of sense. But the last word I do want you to give, give a recommendation to our audience. Who should they look up if they want to get a little taste of this content horror on YouTube? Yeah, sure. Depending on what you enjoy, you one of the most interesting ones to look at would be, for example, Philo Sebastian, so F-I-L-O, like the pastry. He is Chinese-Indonesian, young Chinese-Indonesian. So I think it's really interesting as well to, to see how he navigates. So he also reads tarot. He's really interesting. I love his stuff. Ewing or Ewing Hade, so E-W-I-N-G Hade, um, he's really interesting as well. And if you're interested in some of the female ones, I can recommend looking at Nessie Judge, so N-E-S-S-I-E, Judge, and also Risa Saraswati and Sarah Wijanto. They're really interesting, doing some really interesting stuff online. Ooh, that sounds mm, like happy viewing tonight. Maybe turn off Netflix, turn on some content horror. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) I mean, we could talk a lot about the incredible horror entertainment stuff and Mm. how Indonesia is really becoming a global power in film and other forms for for horror so anyway we have to end here but we will continue our conversations and welcome to the team tito looking forward to it thank you so much that was tito ambiu from rmit and 
Also, a new co-host here on Talking Indonesia. Talking Indonesia will return on the 3rd of February, hosted by Dave McRae. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or find us via your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, thanks for listening and bye for now. Bye.